talk to them about the amygdala in their brain. And when, when they're overwhelmed, their amygdala fires and it doesn't communicate to the prefrontal cortex, which is the braking system. So when I get really worked up and Erica, I get worked up sometimes. It's true, right? When I get worked up, I sometimes get into my amygdala and I respond and react and kids are no different, but we, right. we don't spend the time to teach them. So we taught them and then we gave them de-escalation strategies to use. Welcome to the Teacher Goals Podcast. This is your host, Erica Terry from Healthy Wealthy Educators. And I'm so excited to collaborate with Teacher Goals to bring you a weekly show that equips educators with best practices and actionable strategies to achieve success in the classroom and foster a more connected and empowered school community. Here, we learn by engaging in honest discussions with innovative teachers, administrators, and educational leaders. Are you ready to achieve your teacher goals? Of course you are, so you're definitely in the right place. Let's get started. As we all know, teaching can be so stressful at times. You have that student that just has pushed your buttons that day. And what do you do? Most often you have to just suck it up and keep teaching like everything is normal. But imagine if that wasn't the case. Imagine if you had access to a WhatsApp where you could just say, hey, I need a break. And someone came to support you and give you the mental break that you needed, even if it was just for a few minutes. Doesn't that sound like a dream? Well, it doesn't have to be because after today's episode, you are going to know how to establish the supportive culture in your own school. Join me for today's episode so that you can learn how to support both students and staff with trauma-informed practices. Hey there, welcome to episode 11 of the Teacher Goals Podcast. This is your host, Erica Terry from Healthy Wealthy Educators, and I want to say welcome. I am so excited that you are here with us today. We have a fabulous fabulous episode for you. One of my favorite episodes this season. We have a phenomenal guest. You may know him from the Trauma-Informed Practices Network podcast. His name is Matthew Portel. And when I say he dropped so many nuggets in this episode, you are going to walk away feeling inspired to implement trauma-informed practices, not only to support students, but to support teachers and staff members. He describes such a harmonious culture that it is just so inspirational. I am super excited to share this interview with you. So we're going to just jump right in. I am so excited about tonight. We have the pleasure 
uh, bringing on a phenomenal guest. He was telling me just some great things that he's been doing lately. I'll let him tell his own stories, but we are going to be diving into trauma-informed practices that we can use to support our students. So without further ado, I'm going to go ahead and bring up Matthew Wartell. Hello, how are you? You know, I find it interesting, Erica, that every time we try to talk, we have tech issues. (laughs) Every time. I was going to blame you, but I was like, you know what? I wasn't going to do it. But I thought about it like, I think I need to blame him because we have tech (laughs) issues every time. Oh, man. (laughs) But I'm excited that you are here. And so we're going to jump right into it. Uh, For people that may not know who you are, tell us about yourself. Tell us who you are and what you do. Yeah, well, I am Matthew Portell, and um, I spent the past 15 years as an educator from a teacher to a instructional coach, and then the last seven years as a elementary school principal until... This like almost hurts for me to say, but I want to give context until about three weeks ago. And now I am the director of communities with a large organization called Paces Connection, which is Positive Adverse Childhood Experiences, which is why I'm talking about trauma-informed education. You know, sometimes our journeys take us in directions we weren't anticipating. And I don't know if you know, but most educators get into education to have an impact. I wasn't any different, right? Right. Get into it for the money. It's like most all of us. Right. And I'm not stepping out for the money, to be honest, because the role that I get to take on right now is taking what I tried to accomplish in a single school and taking it to scale and start influencing communities and policy, which is really important to me. Yes. So let's talk about, you said you're taking what you tried to create in a single school and taking it worldwide. And so kind of share your story with us. What? Well, first of all, congratulations on your new role. That's certainly exciting. And like I said, scary at the same time, but I know that you are excited about it. And so, you know, congratulations on that new role, but kind of just take us through like about the culture and what you were creating in your school. And, you know, now that you're going to be taking it worldwide, tell us about the work that you were doing and are doing. Yeah. So I think it's important to start from the beginning when I became an educator. I became an educator late. And it's interesting because the new organization I work with just told my story, which I haven't really told to the depths that I told them. I came from a very conservative, very evangelical background and went to a very small school. It lived a very narrowed, sheltered life for the majority of my life. And so when I got out of high school, I really had a low self-worth. Um, didn't think I had the ability to do anything, was told that I wasn't going to be successful, was told I was obnoxious, was told to be quiet, didn't have the best experience in school. And it wasn't until I met my wife when I was in my mid-20s, where she basically was like, you need to get yourself together. You have so much potential. Um, so I didn't start teaching until I was 29 years old. And it, it happened when and how it should have. Once I stepped into a classroom, I stepped in a more mature individual. And I realized what had been done to me, I didn't want it to happen to any other kid. And so I stepped in a space of things have to be done differently. And so that's how I entered education. And it never left me. Mm-hmm. In 2015, I became a principal. And for the first several months, I principled how... I thought I was supposed to principal, which isn't how I taught, which is very interesting to me. I taught with relationships as the primary focus. I taught as community being the driver of all learning. And when I became a principal, I felt like I had to live under the policies that were driven with the idea of traditional behavior approaches. Mm -hmm. So I did that. 
I suspended kids pretty intensely my first half of a year. We used physical containment and restraint because that was what I was trained to do. Until January of my first year as a principal, I went to a, a lecture called the Barbara Gay Lecture at Vanderbilt University, the School of Peabody, one of the top educational schools in the country. And they started talking about these things called ACEs or adverse childhood experiences. And I'll be on, honest, Eric, I, I remember the moment because it was a paradigm shift for me. It was one of those moments in my life where I got hit really hard, the reality. Yes. What I was doing to kids wasn't what I should be doing for kids. And they asked me to join a small question and answer. And I actually broke emotionally. I actually began to weep because I realized that what I was doing was actually hurting kids. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I don't, I've never met an educator who got into education to hurt kids. Never met one. Right. That wasn't my intent. But what I was learning is my intent and my outcome weren't matching. Mm-hmm. That what I intended to do wasn't matching what I was doing. And therefore, mm-hmm. my impact wasn't aligned. And so that began the shift. Uh, I was very fortunate to be in a place where I wanted to support the adults that I worked with. Teachers didn't work for me. I worked with them. They worked with me. That I wanted to support the adults in the building just as I'm asking them to support the kids. And so I use that as the platform of how to shift the culture of the school. Using current science around the impact of trauma and how it plays out. And I want this to be very clear, not just in kids, but all of us. I want to rehumanize education and include us as educators and teachers on how trauma has impacted all of us and how we need to operate in a school setting, both for the kids and the adults. Because I've said, I just had a keynote in Houston and I said, we can't self-care our way out of this situation right now. This is a collective care support. It's going to require all of us to have each other's back and to ultimately understand why kids are bringing in what they bring in and how they respond the way they respond. So that was the journey that I embarked on and was very proud of the progression of seven years on what was built, not by me, but by the team. I simply uh, opened the door and the team helped me develop what Fall Hamilton Elementary School became. I love it. And I love this mindset shift and culture shift really of administrators working with the staff and everyone supporting each other so that we could show up as our best selves as we support the students. So let's kind of talk about it. This culture you created in the school or the team created in the school was one where staff and students were supported using these trauma-informed practices. So kind of just walk us through, like paint a picture of an example and, you know, some strategies that you all use to create this culture. Yeah. So I think it started with, I always call it the so what, now what? Uh, So what? Why do we need to do it differently, right? So we started with the so what. We started with how does trauma impact not just brain, right? Not just the neuroscience behind it, but also the the physiological responses of of trauma. And what we learned very quickly is that kids aren't don't have brain damage, but that the development of their brain can be altered, right, by the impact of trauma. And when I say trauma, Eric, I want to be very clear. I don't just mean from home. I mean in school too. Schools can be a very traumatizing place for a lot of kids who may not be traumatized at home. And so using that research of understanding, okay, yes, we have abuse. Yes, we have neglect. Yes, we have all of those things that happen outside of school. And we we did try to begin to tackle those things, too, by helping and supporting and working with parents. Mm-hmm. Uh, because I don't know if you know, but a lot of times 
Uh, it's called the intergenerational transmission of trauma, where it's the cycle of I do what I was done to me because that's how I was learned and that's normalized, right? Right. Um, I, I don't ever want anybody to hear me say that the parents in my school are terrible. They were awful. They were bad parents. Not at all. Matter of fact, all of them were amazing and they were sending their best kids that the best version of their kid that they had and they brought their best version of themselves just like we try to every day. So we started with the why. That's where we started. Then we began the now what. The first thing we did was, and we didn't get it all right. I'm going to be honest. We didn't Mm -hmm. get it all right. Matter of fact, we messed up a lot. I'll tell you some of the things that we did that we messed up. But one of the things that we did right was we gave students a space to take a moment, a de-escalation space. We called them peace corners. So peace corners are a place where kids could go. And at the time we did it wrong to initially had kids go and fill a reflection sheet out. And that was how we introduced it. And and I want to be, I want to be honest and say, I don't think that was right. Like if I'm upset, the last thing I want to do is go write a reflection of why I'm upset. Right, right. What I want to do is go and calm down. I want to have a space, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, So we adjusted that over time. A couple other things that we did, we actually taught kids how to use de-escalation strategies. And we told them the science behind why we need to do it. They get it. Right. You can talk to them about the amygdala in their brain. And when when they're overwhelmed, their amygdala fires and it doesn't communicate to the prefrontal cortex, which is the braking system. Mm-hmm. Right. So when I get really worked up and Erica, I get worked up sometimes. It's true. Right. When I get worked up, I sometimes get into my amygdala and I respond and react. And kids are no different, but we right. we don't spend the time to teach them. So we taught them and then we gave them de-escalation strategies to use. So things like just get a drink of water, take five deep breaths, stop and work it out, go for a walk, right? Mm-hmm. So all of these pieces um, is how we started. Now, that isn't where we were when I walked out. We ended with, and that was an online process that we did. It was more video-based. Last year, we actually hired a full-time mindfulness movement and yoga teacher. And every kid got a course and they got to go through it four times a month where we actually taught, modeled, and supported them in how to utilize the power of breathing and breath for self-regulation. Because I can nerd out on this, but if people really want to learn more, it's called the polyvagal theory. And it's 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 a nervous, it's the polyvagal nerve that runs from our spinal cord all the way through our body. And it states, it's called the AND system, the autonomic nervous system. When our nervous system is dysregulated, it impacts our whole body. And so I don't know if you've ever heard this, but I've heard it a thousand times. All I asked him or her to do was to get a pencil out. Next thing I know, they're throwing a desk. I've heard it a thousand times. Right. That tells me that the child has met their capacity and their threshold. And probably it had been building up, whether inside a classroom, outside a classroom, something happened in the hallway, mm-hmm. and then they hit their max and they explode, right? Mm-hmm. So we teach kids what to do when they start recognizing that in their body. And I actually have it with me. I'm going to show you one of the strategies. I know people probably didn't really know what these were mm-hmm. uh, beforehand, but have you ever heard of a pulse oximeter? Yeah. Yes. People mm-hmm. know them now with COVID. So mm-hmm. all we did is we use these as tools to show kids their own breathing superpower. So for example, you put it on and you can see the heart rate, right? Mm-hmm. So once the number would pop up, we would actually what's called co-regulate, which means I'm going to stay calm so you can come into my calm instead of me being worked up and pulled into your storm. And we would breathe with kids and they could physically watch their heart rate decline 
rapidly. Because again, this isn't about me doing something to you. It's about building your skill and capacity to do it for yourself. And so that was a a tool that we started using that kids responded to that quickly. So those are some of the practices. I've got one more that I want to share because I think it's important for educators. We also prioritized educators. And that's what I was going to ask you next. So you, yes, yes. So one of the things we did was called a tap in and tap out system. Mm -hmm. And we use GroupMe, which is a free app communication app. We learned quickly that walkie talkies in schools are not a positive thing. Just the way they sound, utilizing kids' names over the walkie talkies, telling that teachers need support, it elevates the intensity in classrooms and schools. So we utilize GroupMe, which is silent communication. Everybody utilizes it. And we have a channel called Tap In and Tap Out, and it actually goes to the whole staff. Now, what it is, is if I'm an adult and I'm dysregulated, right, or I'm feeling out of sorts, Mm -hmm. student triggered me. Yes, students trigger us. Yes, students push our buttons. Yes, sometimes we lose control. Yes, yes. It's a fact. Teachers, a lot of teachers won't admit it publicly. I always admit it publicly. There are times I lost control of myself. Yeah. And so if I feel myself getting to that point or approaching my frustrational level or dysregulation, I can go on the tap, the tap in and tap out and say, I need to tap out. At some point, another adult in the building is coming to your class and they're going to give you that minute to step out, get yourself together, get a breath, go to the Be Well room, uh, which was an option once we started. Uh, it was called Be Well in school. Mm-hmm. Or just go outside, sit in your car for a minute, 10, 15 minutes, and then come back. Because at the end of the day, we have to have each other's back. If yes. you work in school where you're like, that would never work because people would be too scared, then that means you're not in a good school. That if you don't have colleagues that can't have your back, right? then it's time to have conversations with, with your team. It's time to have conversations with your colleagues of saying, I know we all struggle, you all. And mm-hmm. right now, the struggle is real. Yes. And it is systematic. It is not isolated to your team, to your school, to your district, to your community, to your state. It is internationally impacting educators right now. I know that because I have the the pleasure of speaking to educators all over the world. So we have to have systems to collectively care for each other. Yes, I love it. You have an amen corner right here. I see the comments lighting up. I'm sure you have an amen corner there. So I definitely want to get to our audience. But before we do, you know, this is the Teacher Goals podcast. And so we're always about these, you know, achieving our goals as educators. So what are some teacher goals that um, our educators will be able to achieve by applying these strategies and, you know, great principles that you've shared with us tonight? Yeah. So I think what they're going to achieve is they're going to redefine their purpose and see their why. Because I found that when I lived in a space of compassion fatigue, and I didn't when I stepped out, but about two and a half years ago, right before COVID, I hit a wall Mm -hmm. uh, where I lost my empathy. I lost my love for walking through the door of the school. And I had a community mental health provider in our school sit me down and say, Portel, you're not yourself. What's going on? And that was a wake up call for me. Mm -hmm. And so once I began to reapply the things, ironically, that we were teaching the kids, I then began to revision of why and know that everybody that I worked with had my back. I'm approaching one year ago, I I lost my mom and I spent one week at school, one week off, one week at school, one week off. And I didn't worry about because my team had my back. Mm -hmm. 
I knew they needed to. And then when I came back, I came back ready. Right. Um, but I wasn't ready. So I think what happens when you start understanding, especially your own regulation and the your own personal work, mm-hmm. of why did that just trigger me? Or why did I respond that way? Um, you can keep that sense of calm most of the time mm-hmm. to understand that what kids are bringing with them isn't personal to you. It's not mm-hmm. personal to me. Mm-hmm. And therefore, if it isn't personal, I don't take it personal. And right. I can navigate and, and serve as a buffer for kids when they do need a, a safe, stable, nurturing adult. Yes. And with every good thing comes challenges. And so when teachers are trying to implement these trauma-informed practices or schools are trying to create this culture um, that you've described, what are some of the challenges that they face and what can they do to overcome them? You know, one of the one of the challenges is policy. And I'm just going to be honest, I didn't ask to start to do this work. I did it unapologetically and I was doing what was right for kids. And so sometimes sticking to your ethics can be challenging because sometimes it fights against the systems that are designed to not work for every kid. So that's one challenge. Two, having an admin that just does not get it or understand. I want to validate the educators that are listening to this live or who will listen to it in the future is a major challenge. It really, truly is. And if you would have asked me four years ago, I think my response would have been different. I realized the impact that administrator has on this work intensely as I began to do this work across the country with other schools. Mm-hmm. Admin can be a very big barrier to being successful. However, very wise administrator, Jim Sporleader from the documentary Paper Tigers, who is the principal of Walla Walla, uh, Lincoln High School in Walla Walla, Washington, told me, Portel, you may not be able to impact or have the impact on 100% of your kids, but you can always love 100% of your kids. And at the end of the day, nobody can mandate that we can't care, love, and create a safe, stable, nurturing environment and relationships with our kids. Nobody can. Not an admin, not a government official, not a law. And so I think there are ways in which these practices can be implemented that may not be systematic, that can be environmental for your own classroom. And that simply means showing up and keeping kids predictability, letting kids know that you care and love for them, even when it's a rough day. And so I think there's a lot of barriers, but there's also a lot of opportunities. I love it. And so any final words of wisdom, like you've shared so many nuggets with us tonight. So any Final words of wisdom for someone that's going to start this journey, that's inspired tonight, and they're like, I'm ready. I want to do this work. One step. That's it. Find one thing. Try it. Don't just try it once, because as a career educator, we know the cycle. Attempt, attack, abandon. It is the cycle that we see. It's also half attempt it and then fully attack it and then fully abandon it, right? Mm -hmm. Um, I've done it myself. So what I would say is if you don't know the why, dig into the why. What is the impact of trauma? What is the impact of historical trauma? What is the impact of educational trauma? Dig into the why and then find one thing to do. Matter of fact, find one kid in your classroom to just pour in that space. You know what? You look like you're having a rough time. I'm going to give you a space. Anytime you need it, give me a thumbs up. Because I think one of the things that made a lot of people nervous uh, was when we started the, the mindfulness be well in school is kids got to self-refer and teachers couldn't say no. And it made people really nervous. And did mm-hmm. you know kids only spend seven to nine minutes in the be well room when they are dysreg- feel like they're going to be dysregulated, right? So I think if you're going to do another step, empower your kids, mm-hmm. empower them, teach them. There is a saying that was written in a book in 1995 that said, if our kids... If they struggle with reading, what do we do? We teach them. If, 
if they struggle in math, what do we do? We teach them. If a kid is struggling when they come to your classroom with expectations and behavior, teach. Just teach. Nobody's ever punished trauma out of a kid. Matter of fact, nobody's punished trauma out of a human. It does not happen. Right. Matter of fact, eliminating the use of shame in in education in in schools and classrooms needs to be a priority. But if they're going to do one thing, just take one step. Just that's it. Just try one thing and let a kid know that you love and care about them. And if you can let all of them know every day, success. Love it. Power of one. That's one of my favorite lines. I love it. I love it. I love it. So if people want to learn more about you or learn more about trauma-informed practices, where can they find you? I'm pretty active. Uh, <laughs> uh, you can follow me at Principalist on Instagram and Twitter. I also founded a social media network called Trauma-Informed Educators Network on Facebook, which is about 29 a little over 29,000 educators who are sharing, collaborating, and learning from each other in this space. So you can join that group. I also, shameless plug, have my own podcast Yes, <laughs> called the Trauma Informed Educators Network Podcast, the longest name of a podcast in the history of podcasts. If you put in Matthew Portel podcast, it will come up. But listen to the podcast. I get to speak to some of the world's top experts in this field from neuroscientists, to educators, to internationally renowned experts. That's what I would say the best places you could uh, get a hold of me. I love it. So I just want to thank you for joining us tonight. I learned so much and was so inspired. I'm super excited to hear from our community because I know that they are definitely going to be inspired to support students and staff uh, through trauma-informed practices. So thank you so much for being with us tonight. I appreciate it. OMG, what did I tell you? So inspirational, right? I enjoyed that interview with Matthew Portel so much. And guess what? The best part is that it does not end there. If you visit any of the Teacher Goals social media platforms, YouTube, LinkedIn, Facebook, or join the Teacher Goals Facebook group, then you can enjoy about 15 more minutes of Q&A. We had some great questions. And of course, he answered those questions with so much detail, giving so much knowledge. It was just a blast inside of the group during this interview. And so if you have not already joined us, we record these podcast episodes live each week. And not only do you get to engage and listen in to my interview, but you get to get your questions answered. And so I want to extend a personal invitation for you to join us inside of the Teacher Goals Facebook group. Or if you follow Teacher Goals, um, you will see us on Thursday evenings at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. I want to thank you not only for what you do to inspire your students every day, but I want to thank you for hanging out with me. I appreciate you and value you so much. If you are loving the Teacher Girls podcast, then please, please, please uh, hit the subscribe button and also leave a review. We read each one and it gives us feedback so that we know uh, what we can do to continue to nurture you and provide you with the tips and strategies that you need in order to achieve your personal teacher goals. And so thank you so much. Once again, I am Erica Terry from Healthy Wealthy Educators, and I am super 
happy to have spent this time with you. I will see you back next time. Have a great week. Thank you so much for tuning into the Teacher Goals Podcast. Here are three ways that you can engage with us and join an amazing community of educators. First, subscribe to the show in whatever platform you're tuning in on. Second, be sure to follow us and join the Teacher Goals Connected School Communities Facebook group so that you never miss our live recordings and the opportunity to engage in a live Q&A with our weekly guests. Last but certainly not least, I'd love to hear your favorite tip from today's show. Leave a review or snap a pic and create a post tagging at Teacher Goals and me at Healthy Wealthy Educators so that we can check out all of the great things that you're doing to achieve your teacher goals. Teacher Goals and Teacher Heart Out is sponsoring a 2023 Bahamas cruise open to all educators. Guests such as spouses, family, and friends are also welcome to attend. There is an amazing lineup of speakers, and you can book your PD at sea now by putting down a $200 deposit. Attend the Sail Away Party Thursday, July 6th in Port Canaveral at 6 p.m. in preparation for cruising Friday. You will return Monday, July 10th at 8 a.m. Scan the QR code now to sign up. You don't want to miss it.